Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. A good Wednesday morning to you. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen on Mornings Without Carmen. She'll be back in on Monday. Good to have you with us. Uh, while I'm hosting, thank you, Ryan Mitchell, for coming in and doing the uh, all the hard work of keeping everything, <laughs> all the buttons pushed and everything that needs to be done done. You're welcome. Thankfully, hey. it's like riding a bike. You do it enough times and yeah. you're just kind of used to it. So Yeah, I know. But <laughs> even still, sometimes you haven't done it in a while. You feel a little rusty. It's true. First, it's very true. Out. Yeah. Yep. Hey, I got a question. Um, do you have a soundtrack your, of your life? A soundtrack of my yes. life? I would not know how to answer that right away. Well, so. I, I'm thinking, knowing you, because you're a big sports guy, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and you can talk about almost any sport, you probably should have somewhere in your soundtrack <laughs> the theme song to the old ABC's Wide World of Sports. Yeah. That would work for you. Yeah. That would work for you. I think it would be really good. Anyway, but back to the question, do you have a soundtrack to your life? And I don't just mean a collection of CDs or maybe an iTunes playlist, although that can be part of it because my wife has a really extensive iTunes playlist. It's it's quite eclectic and it's quite wonderful, actually. They are cool, as good as playlists are. But I'm thinking more like, say, a movie soundtrack, especially, say, mm, Star Wars. You like the Star Wars soundtrack? Yeah, there's some good music in there. I can't quote a lot of it, but uh, yeah. Well, it's I good. mean, you know. Da, 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 yes. Da, yep. Da. Yep. Okay, you you will notice, Ryan, that there's all these little recurring motifs like that one I just did. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have the uh, Duel of the Fates. You have, um, you know, the Imperial March. You have Leah's theme. There's all these different themes that and motifs that get woven together throughout the soundtrack, which is actually kind of cool. And hats off to John Williams, who, by the way, has another Oscar nomination coming his way in a few weeks, hopefully. I'm hoping he wins it, because he deserves it. I mean, actually, go back and listen to the soundtrack, from the, especially the first six uh, movies, all these, again, recurring themes and, and motifs that keep coming up and getting mixed in particular scenes. And some of those motifs, you got to listen for them because they change the chord, the tempo. Sometimes they're hard to detect, but if you're really listening, wait a minute. It's there. It's there. Well, God has a soundtrack, much like that, woven throughout the Bible. Various themes and motifs that get blended together. Okay, not musical motifs per se, but they're there. There's these motifs and themes that keep popping up. And here's, here's one where it happens again. Psalm 33 Four and five is our Growing Your Faith verse for today. For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything he does. He loves what is just and good. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. Maybe you're kind of going, um, there's a theme in there? It, well, yeah. Listen, let's look at it a little deeper here. I want to change the verse up, uh, the tense, no, pardon me, the translation up a little bit. I'm going to switch over to the ESV because maybe you'll hear it a little more clearly because the Growing Your Faith verse, we usually do New Living Translation, which is a great translation, but sometimes it helps you hear it in another, shall we say, voice. 
For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Okay, did you hear it a bit more that time? One of those major recurring motifs of the Bible. If not, join me in Exodus 34, where God reveals himself more fully to Moses. We talked a little bit about this yesterday as as I was thinking about Psalm 145. Again, Moses is in in the cleft of the rock as God passes. Moses gets to see God's back, for no man can see God's face and live. That was the warning, right? But as God passed, he proclaimed his name, the Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping his steadfast love for a thousand years. Those pairings of faithfulness and steadfast love as well as other groupings of attributes to God, you find in Exodus 34, 6, and 7, recur often in the Bible. Many times in the Psalms, actually, I've been reading through uh, Genesis a lot lately, and I'm finding those pairings coming up several times there, too. It's like you build up to uh, Exodus 34, and it's just like a, it's just like the main themes of Star Wars, just blaring out. Again, this... Faithfulness, faithful and loving God, creator of the world who brought the world into being and sustains it and calls us to live in the light of his loving order in what is upright, righteous, and just as we trust in him. Again, he is the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. He created the world out of love. You get a glimpse of that in the world around us. I know sometimes the world, because the world has been touched by sin and corruption, you don't always see it, but you still get these glimpses of God's love and glory shining through. And it truly is full of his steadfast love. As one of my Bible prophets would say, when you hear the word steadfast love, the Hebrew word chesed, loyal love. He's loyal. He keeps sustaining even, he's loyal to us. He's merciful. He sustains us. He is, again, so loyal to us. And he calls us to be part of that. If you go to the end of that psalm, uh, again, Psalm, um, psalm 33, there's this plea, let your steadfast love, your said, your loyal love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So let us hope in that love. The love that brought Jesus to us, who became our Savior, dealing with our sin, which was corrupting us, and now sends the Spirit to renew us. And we wait in hope for Jesus to return to renew all things and bring all things back into that perfect loving order. God promised this in his word. It just resounds, again, that symphony of his word and these various, these various motifs, especially that loving kindness and faithfulness. And the word of the Lord holds true. Well, this is, again, Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in. And, you know, since we're talking music, I saw this this morning. How does listening to music affect you emotionally? How does it affect the emotion centers of your brain? A study carried out by the University of uh, Zurich found that live performances trigger a stronger emotional response than listening to music on a device. Concert performers, you know, you know, being in a concert setting. Music already, yes, we know, has a strong effect on emotions. Studies have shown listening to recorded music stimulates emotional and imaginative processes in our brain, which is good. But what happens when we listen to music in a live setting, for example, at a music festival, in an opera hall, a folk concert, at church, when we're participating? 
Well, researchers used magnetic resonance imaging, MRI technology, to measure the activity of the amygdala in 27 listeners as well as performers in, in, a, in real time. The study shows that pleasant and unpleasant emotions performed as live music elicited much higher and more consistent activity in the, in the amygdala than recorded music. Yeah, there's something, there's this connectivity, more connectivity when we're live. And it's something like that when we read God's Word, read about what he, read about things like, well, let's say, living in unity with each other, something Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in the Gospel of John, prayed for. It sparks our minds and our emotions, this wonderful, great idea. It warms our hearts. When we see it played out, though, in real time, in real lives, <laughs> that can be amazing. But it's also something we struggle with. There's a lot of disharmony, especially within our community as brothers and sisters in Jesus. Uh, what's stopping us? Daryl Crouch is going to join me in just a few moments. Daryl's with Everyone's Wilson. And we're going to talk about some of the barriers to our unity and our collaboration as brothers and sisters. Well, again, thank you for listening to Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. All right, getting musical again. We are one in the spirit. We are one in the Lord. I won't sing it, but uh, you know the song. Many of us have sung that song, but why don't we feel it more? What can we do to foster that unity of spirit? Daryl Crouch from Everyone's Wilson, one of Carmen's regular conversation partners, is back, and I get to talk to him today. Hey, Daryl, how are you doing? Paul, it's great to great to be with you, even if it's without Carmen. It's even awesome. yeah, mornings without Carmen here on Faith Radio. Uh, hey, let's first off, everyone's Wilson. I know we've talked about it before, but yours is a collaborative work. Describe what everyone's Wilson is. Yeah, we're a network of churches and businesses and nonprofits, kingdom minded, Jesus loving people who uh, really care about the community and want to mobilize in practical ways. Uh, in in structures that already exist in the community, public schools, for example, helping uh, d- um, DCS, uh, working in uh, in spaces where where people live every day, the marketplace, for example, and uh, not only being a Christian influence, but helping to um, bring people together in the same room, both figuratively at, at, as as well as practically or, or realistically in the same room to to solve. Uh, systemic or uh, systemic problems find sustainable solutions uh, to to brokenness in our community. We know that the gospel is um, is absolutely essential for life change, but uh, the gospel doesn't do any good until it gets there uh, and gets to the people who need it. And so, we see ourselves as a delivery system um, for gospel proclamation and uh, through uh, just building relationships and putting Jesus people, Christians, uh, in spaces where uh, broken people uh, live every day. And so um, the unity piece is really not a sentimental thing for us. It's it's a part of our theory of change, you would say. We, we, we believe that unifying uh, the church um, helps us to mobilize the church into these spaces. Right. And with that, I mean, you you have an article up. And for those who want to follow this and read the article, you can find it at darylcrouch.substacks.com. He talks about five barriers to collaboration. I, I, I substitute the word unity in that collaboration. And, and you start out your uh, your thoughts 
with the prayer Jesus is. The one I mentioned just a little while ago from uh, the high priestly prayer, and you're, you're looking at uh, John 17, right? Right. And, and talk, talk about that prayer. Well, it was the night before Jesus would be crucified, and so you would think that, um, you know, the last things that he prays are important things, and as a part of that, he's he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for not only those that are present uh, with him then, but those that would come. And he he says, "Listen, I, uh, Father, I want." Well, he, he says, "Father, I, I, I'm in you. You're in me. I, I want that they also be in us, so that the world would believe you sent me." Um, he says, "I in them, and you are in me, so that they may be completely one, that the world may know." That you've sent me. So there's really, there's a lot there, right? But there's two things I can point out this morning. One, for Jesus to compare uh, the relationship he desires for us to have between one another with the relationship he has with the Father is incredibly profound. If you've ever tried to explain the the, the concept of the Trinity, you understand how how mysterious that is, how real it is, but how difficult it is to get our arms around that. Well, He's saying that this this relationship that the Father has with the Son, and I would think he would say it with the Spirit as well, but this triune relationship, this intimacy between the Father and the Son um, is pretty profound. And for him to pray that we would have that same kind of of a relationship at the exit at the at the level of our existence is is pretty powerful, I think. But the second thing for that, from that is that it leads somewhere. That is, our unity becomes a megaphone or a delivery system for the gospel uh, to a watching world. So our unity isn't just, a, as we used to say, a kumbaya kind of around the mm-hmm. campfire. We all love each other. It's a, it's a unity with grit and with teeth in it. And it moves us uh, to lost people who need to know the gospel and need to hear the gospel. And so those two things are, I think, really profound, very powerful, but also lead to, uh, as we listen to the word and respond to the word um, to uh, new steps of obedience. Mm. That was so good. Because <laughs> there's so much you can pull. There's so much Jesus prayed for in those few words. Mm. And it, uh, yes, one of the longest prayers of Jesus, in the, it is the longest prayer, but it's still short when you really think about it, but even in those words, there's so much, including, I love the fact that, okay, this is an aside, but there's, it's one of the places in Scripture where I think God's talking, Jesus is praying about me, because he does talk about, uh, about mm-hmm. I don't just pray for these, talking his disciples, but those who will believe in my name through, their, through them. That's mm-hmm. you and me. Jesus prayed directly for us. It's right there in Scripture. Absolutely. Jesus, anyway. Like I said, that's one of the things, that's one of those verses that really juices me. All right. Actually, we're going to have to take a break because as wonderful as this picture is, we fall short. And there's, you highlight five barriers to this unity, to this collaboration. I want us to quickly go through those, but also help us see beyond those to, again, what Jesus called us to in his, in his prayer. This is uh, Faith Radio. Daryl Crouch is my guest. And again, thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen. How are you preparing for the reality of Jesus's last days, his passion, Holy Week, the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas's betrayal, Peter's denials, 
Jesus being stripped and humiliated by soldiers and falsely accused by the Jews and subjected to mock trials and ultimately crucified. How are you planning to give those events in Jesus's life the attention they deserve? That's what the season of Lent is all about. The 40 days prior to Easter are set aside to prepare ourselves to face the reality of the cross and, yes, ultimately to celebrate the reality of the empty tomb. I invite you to join us in reading through the Bible together during Lent. The study will provide a way for you to intentionally engage each day with the Word of God. You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com as we read through the Bible together this Lent. Jesus desires it of us that we live in unity with each other, and yet we keep putting up barriers, or barriers come up. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen. This is Faith Radio. Daryl Crouch from Everyone's Wilson joining us this morning on Mornings Without Carmen as we look at some of those barriers to, and again, you use the word collaboration, Daryl, in your article, in your blog post, but I switch it out and talk about unity because you can't have good collaboration without unity. And you highlighted five ways that you see are barriers to this elusive, you know, this call, the, this beautiful design of unity that God calls us to. Let's quickly go through them. What's, the first one is urgent working. What is that? Well, we're all just very busy. Uh, oh. We're all just um, very busy with the things right in front of us. I, th- I, I have this conversation almost weekly, and I need to have it daily with myself. But we, you know, we we live with very little margin. We we pack our calendars, um, and we um, we we we're busy, and we're doing great things. I think um, part of that comes because that many of us that are pastors or we're nonprofit leaders, we we kind of have a heart for the community. Not kind of we we have a heart yeah. for the community that moves us. We assume that every problem is ours to fix, and that everything that needs that needs our attention should get our attention or that everything that demands our attention should get our attention. And so um, many pastors, many church leaders, many uh, nonprofit sector leaders are just tired. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's a, there's a sense that I really don't, I don't have time um, to, to cultivate the relationships necessary to do the work that I'm being asked to do. I could give you some examples of that, but we have some. I've met some wonderful nonprofit leaders that are wonderful at doing that work, but they're not as great at building the relationships that necessary to help fund that work or help uh, recruit volunteers to that work. And so they often work in isolation, yeah. just doing the best they can. And so, um, so we're just busy. Mm-hmm. And then tag on to that a scarcity mindset. Yeah, and this is an attitude of the heart that uh, is a little bit nuanced, but it comes out in very you know practical daily ways. That um, we used to th- we used to talk about it, and I say used to. I'm sure it's still there, but that churches competing with each other, that uh, one church down the street um, loses members to another church um, church down the street, and that there's a competitive kind of uh, vibe that goes on in a community. Um, I'm sure that still happens. Um, I think it's a little less, um, um, you know, uh, on the table as it used to be uh, in terms of churches competing because of the profound lostness around us. If we're competing, we're pretty bad at it. You know, mm-hmm. we, we're, we're just not 
crushing it. However, under the surface is an attitude of the heart that says God's resources are limited or the mm. resources I need are limited. And um, and so we, I use the analogy of the hungry hippo game that uh, <laughs> I had as a kid, but it just feels like we're all just trying to grab for what's ours. And we would hate to say that as Christians or as church leaders, but we we just think there's we just operate from a scarcity uh, mentality rather than an abundance one. And um, when we understand that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, He's the baker. He bakes the bread, and He can bake as much bread as He wants to bake, and that it all comes from Him. Um, that really changes the way that we view other people, and. Um, we um, we find ourselves wanting other people to win uh, and wanting other people to do great um, and uh, and doing what we can to help them mm-hmm. be great right. uh, rather than create silos that keep our, you know, our corn in our silo and you keep your corn in your silo. <laughs> um, we, we, we share corn. That's a lot of analogies there. So. There is a lot of analogies, but th- that's probably the best way of do- describing it. Again, Darryl, talking with Daryl Crouch, talking about barriers to our unity. And, okay, there's three more, and we're quickly running out of time. So let's kind of crunch them together because a few of them kind of tie together, especially identity-seeking and theological narrowing. Yeah, so as we talked earlier, maybe, the, the, we, we, we find our identity in our tribe. And there's nothing. There, there's not everything wrong about that. We need our people. We we need the, we need our people, and we have certain theological convictions that uh, move us. I think local churches are wonderful. I think uh, denominations can be great. I think having a definition of who you are and what you believe is very helpful convictionally to, for you to live out your faith. However, when those things uh, become a part of your identity, then you become very sectarian. And uh, you uh, keep everybody at a distance. And uh, your self-worth and your sense of who you are is not in Christ anymore, but it's in your your tribal affiliation or in, um, you know, the way your church does it. And uh, you see everybody else as less valuable. You see, sometimes you see them as wrong. And uh, because they're, they don't think the way you think about a certain uh, issue. And so you, you, we, we stiff arm each other and we create these barriers in order. And this is, this is kind of the shadow side of it, Paul, that we're trying to, we're trying to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, we're trying to protect some image that we think that we're trying, that we need to build. And, um, that again, that's a, a real nuanced thing. It's in the heart. Uh, uh, it's in the heart issue category that's not always seen, but the practical realities is that as a church leader, uh, people follow us. And so if you're a pastor and you're that you live in that kind of isolation identity space, uh, your church will soon, soon take on that same character mm-hmm. and uh, it will be known in the community as sectarian and isolated and, um, seeing other people as less than. Yeah, and there's another flip side of it. You brought up the pastor side of it, too, and sometimes they get so caught up in what they're doing, they, they, they build their identity, their value around what they're doing. And, I mean, that's just a flip side of what you're talking about here, but 
get so caught up in that, they don't see the outside. They don't see the, the bigger mission of what God is trying to do in the world. It's very easy for any of us who feel called and passionate to whatever it is God's called us to, whether it's in vocational ministry or in the marketplace, to get so caught up in that, which we should be very diligent in that, but to get so caught up in that that uh, there's not a separation between who we are and what we do. Mm-hmm. And whenever uh, that those lines get blurred or when we start to take on our identity and what we do, uh, we're going to hurt other people. We're going to hurt our family. We're going to hurt our community. Uh, we're going to hurt our church. And uh, the gospel is going to be a slowed in its in its advance in the community. Mm. Again, Daryl Crouch from Everyone's Wilson talking with us this morning here on Faith Radio. Okay, those are the barriers. As best we could have time to talk about them because there's five of them that you outline in, in your blog post. But you also talk about a way forward, which again pulls us right back to Scripture and one of my favorite passages, chapter 2 of Philippians. Talk about what you're thinking. Yeah, so this really goes to a heart issue. You can there's lots of work to do on the practical side, but but this is where it begins, I think, and I appreciate you loving this passage as well as one of mine. But that we do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but we uh, in humility consider others more important than ourselves. So there, there's this uh, posture of humility that <clears throat> when that begins to drive us, we, we it doesn't mean we don't take care of what's our responsibility. It just means that that we we see the success of others as our success and we see the the kingdom as as our as our goal rather than simply uh, our little kingdom we see the kingdom Jesus's kingdom as our goal and we look to others and see how can i help you be successful i've said this lately jesus has blind bartimaeus what do you want and uh, and he cared about he cared about what Bartimaeus wanted, mm-hmm. and um, he he offered that to him, and in doing so, he also invited him uh, into a life with him. And um, and so, I think um, seeing other people more important than ourselves, it, all of this begins and is fueled with a humble posture. Mm. Love that. Hey, Daryl, thanks again for joining us. I I love how you inspire us. Uh, We oftentimes call our conversations from living Word of God to living out the Word of God. Because, again, it's great when it's on paper. It's even better when it's lived out in lives, isn't it? It really is. And it's it's an example. It's a a demonstration. It's a living demonstration of the, the gospel and the love that God has for us and the calling that he has for us to to repent and be saved. And um, so we we get to display that in all its beauty when we work together. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Thanks again, Daryl. Check in with Daryl at either everyoneswilson.org, that's the organization he leads, as well as his thoughts on his uh, Substack feed, darylcrouch.substack.com. This is Mornings with Carmen. So are you in a happy place or do you live in a happy place wallet hub just put out their rankings of the happiest cities in the u.s and according to their rankings and they factor in things like income and banking and community environment and emotional and physical well-being number one fremont california followed by overland park kansas 
San Jose, California, that's the top three. Now, number four, congratulations to our Faith Radio City of Madison. Actually, Oberlin Park, Kansas, through our HD signal there at 88.5 is also a uh, one of our Faith Radio cities. But Madison is number four. Sioux Falls, number 11. Uh, Minneapolis, number 13. Fargo, number 16. Bismarck comes in at number 20. That's uh, in the top 20 there. Hey, so congratulations to some of our Faith Radio Cities, and thank you for making it a good place to live. Okay, one of the things you do uh, to make a place a good place to live is be an active citizen. And, you know, okay, when you're summoned to serve as part of jur- a jury duty thing, many of us don't like the disruption to our lives, and we want to kind of get out of it. But still, as good citizens, I hope you'd want to first accept the call to do your part. However, recently, three potential jurors were dismissed because they held a held that you know, held to God's creational design for human sexuality. Increasingly, people don't see God's design as good. How should we live in the face of this? Mark Terman from the Denison Forum will join us shortly. Again, this is Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Paul. Thanks for listening to Faith Radio. So how can we live well in a world that is increasingly seeing aspects of our Christian faith as wrong, even evil? I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen, and Mark Terman from the Denison Forum joins us, as he does pretty much every other week here on Faith Radio. Thank you again, Mark, for being part of the program. Hey, great to be with you, Paul. Good morning, and hope things are going well for everybody. Well, so far I haven't sunk the ship. That's (laughs) (laughs) good deal. Anyway, uh, what we're going to be talking about, you can find, by the way, at denisonforum.org. And uh, again, you guys help us. We talk about applying the mind of Christ to the matters of the day, and you help us do that. And with the hope, as we all do, of pointing people to Jesus. And you talk about a situation recently where some potential jurors who affirmed biblical morality regarding human sexuality were excluded from serving on a jury. And that got uh, you and uh, the team there at Denison Forum thinking. Yeah, it really is an astounding story uh, and really went viral, you would say, because of the comments of uh, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito, who said that, you know, he this is what some on the court anticipated might happen when uh, same-sex marriage was legalized in 2015, uh, that now those that disagree, those that uh, don't think that homosexuality is God's plan for us, that they would be stigmatized and then even uh, criminalized, perhaps, or even viewed as dangerous and threatening to society because uh, we uphold a biblical standard. And it's really sad to see that um, the idea of following what God has in mind for us in terms of uh, the abundant life, the full life, the life that comes through walking with him and aligning our lives in obedience, that that's now become, again, not just something people that disagree with, but they see as dangerous and threatening. And it's unfortunate that that's where our culture has moved to in a large way. Mm. You you thought through this issue, you and actually it was Jim Dennison, wasn't it? And he, I, I love the way he was thinking because he starts out with, okay, as we look at this, why is the gospel, why is the good news, good news? Yeah, and you know, I love the way he kind of simply uh, frames this for us, that that's what the whole message of the Bible, and in particularly of Jesus's ministry and the ministry of the church is about, is about ex- explaining and proclaiming this incredible 
gospel that we have, the good news that we have a God in heaven, we have a king, and that this king loves us, not because we're worthy of his love, but because he is love, that he wants our best and created us for an eternal relationship with him. And if we will follow him and trust him, we can find that there is order and that there is meaning in the world and that we certainly can't understand everything right now because we are limited and we are broken because of our sin. But as we walk with him in newness of life, he brings us not only strength, but he brings us hope. He brings us the confidence that he does have a meaning and a purpose for our lives as well as for the world as, as a whole, and that we can find that as we discover a relationship with him through Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, the strange thing is, Mark, this is I, what you explain. It's like, this is good news, the redemption that Jesus is doing in our lives. And then as we see our sin, which is death or leads to death, we want to turn from that to follow the ways of life. And yet people see that as bad news. Why? Well, I think it's because it confronts us at the biggest problem that we have, which is our sin, is our desire to be our own king rather than to discover God as our king and to let him be the leader of our lives. We all have within us this desire to replace God and to be our own king and to rule our own lives and to develop our own sense of purpose. Uh, and when when we face things that we can't understand or comprehend, particularly in innocent suffering, and there's a lot of it in the world. Yeah. There's no question about that. Uh, you know, every time we see uh, the experience of a child suffering, particularly I think of things like uh, childhood cancers and children caught up in the midst of a crossfire of war, uh, whether that's in Israel and uh, the conflict with Hamas or in Ukraine or other places in the world, that really can shake us, no doubt. Um, but we have this idea that we can make sense of the world on our own. And that, uh, you know, as Darwin said, Dr. Dennison points this out in the article, that Darwin was the one who said, you know, it's just a matter of selection, uh, the survival of the fittest and a natural selection process. And you just need to kind of steel yourself against the chaotic randomness of the world and that uh, you'll never be able to find any kind of purpose or uh, or reason for what goes on in the world. You just need to stand up and try to take it the best you can, which is really a pretty uh, pessimistic kind of way of looking at the world, in my opinion. But it really starts with this fundamental idea that we want to be king rather than uh, responding to the revelation that God is king. Mm-hmm. Actually, one of the aspects that uh, Jim brought out talked about how, and we we get into this even within Christianity sometimes, where we want to see our religion, our relationship more transactionally than transformatively and just relationally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so easy to slip into this mindset, you know, that I'll go to church on Sunday and I'll read my Bible or I'll bring an offering of, of finances to God, is, and then we try to cut a deal with God. Yeah. Hey, if you are real, and this is a mentality I've run into a number of times, I'm not sure God is there, but in case he's there, I'm going to come and bring you know, my offering, my payment, whether it's my time or my finances, or uh, you know, I'm going to try to be a good person, and that's going to be the way I'm going to pay off this God that may exist so that he will be on my side. And it's very easy for us to get into that mindset of uh, 
well, you know, every person just gets what they deserve or what they earn. And so we're going to act in this kind of transactional way. Mm-hmm. So again, we're talking with Mark Terman from the Denison Forum. And as we think about this, okay, so we know the good news is good news, even though the world sees it as bad. But how can we help show that the gospel is good news is the final question. And I think this is where we really need to, I wouldn't say land our plane, but <laughs> actually take off from. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, the thing that Dr. Dennison assumes in here is that you would accept the good news for yourself, that you would uh, hear the word of the, the the message of Christ, that you would believe that, that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to become our Savior, and that you would submit your life to that in faith and accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And then out of that, you would let the presence of Christ in your life show through as you align your life with God's Word and with God's will for your life. And that gives the opportunity of the Holy Spirit to produce the character of Christ, what is sometimes called the fruit of the Spirit, in and through your life that you personify, you become a living example. You know, the Bible says that that the early Christians were sometimes called little Christ. That's where we get the mm-hmm. word Christian from. It means little Christ, that we become living examples of this love that God has for us, that we show it through the way that we live. And then we share what we have come to know about God in Christ, that we have the opportunity to be uh, people who have a message of love and truth to share that didn't come from us, didn't originate with us, but that we get to be a part of sharing. And then as we do that, as we practice that in uh, the good works that God leads us to do, both in our words and in our works, we're pointing people to the greatness of God, to the to the love of God, and to the opportunity of eternal relationship with this perfect God through faith in Christ, not through our own performance not through earning it, because the Bible says we can't do that, but by receiving it and then reflecting it back into the lives of the people around us. And we can do that in ways wherever we are. I mean, when you're in your workplace, how you treat your coworkers, how you treat your customers, your clients, you name it, um, how you treat your family, whatever, wherever God puts you. Uh, I noticed Jim Dennison brought up one of my favorite guys, uh, Abraham Pike, uh, Kuyper, talking about, you know, not a square inch of the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. It's like, okay, I have you there. I mean, a lot of people take this in a different way, but I look at this and say, okay, God has you here. Be mine there. Show people me there. Yes, absolutely. You know, I was in a church service recently where uh, the the leaders of the church were calling us, hey, wherever your feet take you, that's your mission field. Wherever, you know, God allows you to go today, uh, as you said, whether it's working with your family or working in your career, uh, wherever it is that God allows you to go or sends you to go today, that's your mission field. That's the place where you can be salt and light and as I like to say, where you can become salty bright and reflect through your life the presence of God and point people back to that greatest of all realities, which is God and his love for us. Mm. Again, Jim Dennison's our guest. And as we continue talking, okay, I, I don't know about you, uh, about uh, not Jim Dennison, Mark Terman, my apologies, but the Dennison That's Forum. That's okay. <laughs> well, you know, I could, 
Jim's a great guy, and, and he obviously I hear you talk, and I hear so much of him in you. So, which is which is kind of cool. Um, but again, as we continue talking with Mark, um, I'm sure this has happened to you too, Mark. Where you say you're talking to somebody, maybe your wife, and you're saying, you know, we really should buy a new blender. And what shows up on your social media feed all of a sudden? Advertisements yeah, for blenders. Yeah, it's a little scary, to be yeah, honest with you. We'll, yep. we'll, t- we'll talk about that in just a few moments here on Faith Radio. This is your birthday song. It isn't very long. Hey, Faith Radio is celebrating 75 years of bringing faith to life. That's right. We are 75 this year. So to celebrate, we are giving away 75 Faith Radio birthday boxes packed with all kinds of fun things to help you grow in your walk of faith. And yes, celebrate with us. So we're going to be celebrating the birth and growth and future of Faith Radio all year long. And you are an integral part of the Faith Radio family. And so we want to send you a gift. How fun is that? This is our birthday song. It isn't very long. So to enter to win a Faith Radio birthday box today, come to MyFaithRadio.com. I keep thinking of the line from Bugs Bunny. You ever get the feeling you was being watched? Well, it seems like you are. I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio with Mark Turman from the Denison Forum. And Mark, you guys had an article about these satellites, some new satellites that are able to really zoom in and see things, details that are pretty impressive, and it's kind of scary. Well, it, it is certainly eye-opening, and but first of all, Paul, I have to say, hey, I didn't know you were a person that could do impressions, and oh, so yeah, you know, the Bugs Bunny impression would just have to put, mark that down as a special moment today. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, and somebody was watching. Ain't you know, all you uh, <laughs> yeah, a bunch of a bunch of us were not only listening, but I'm sure somebody was watching, and you know, you'll probably get some advertisements and opportunities to buy some Bugs Bunny gear. Oh, you know, probably right. in about thirty seconds right. from now. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's, you know, we we have all sensed in increasing ways over the last number of years that we are being monitored and we are yeah. being watched. And, you know, as we were talking, so many people have had this experience, you know, you start thinking, well, I might be interested in this or that. And then all of a sudden, you know, five minutes later, you pull up your uh, your phone and your social media feed and all of a sudden you're getting advertisements, hey, I was I was thinking I might want to go camping someday, and all of a sudden you're seeing tents and campers everywhere. Yeah. Um, and you're wondering, well, how does that happen? And we're not exactly sure how that happens, and certainly we're getting some sense that the technology companies don't want to tell us how they know that, but there, there seems to be too much of a connection for that kind of coincidence happening over and over to a bunch of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, so – we're we're we know and we just know we you know almost everywhere we go now any restaurant or to the gas station we just look around there's cameras everywhere yeah there and is. so we're no we know we're being monitored in that way why wouldn't we think that you know our conversations are being overheard in some ways and so the technology is amazing and in some ways it does some really great things for us in terms of helping us to solve crime and those kinds of things um but this idea of Big Brother watching over our shoulder 24-7 seems to be more real than it's ever been. Uh, but at the same but, time, we know that the Bible teaches that God is watching as well. God, yeah. you know, the Bible says that that there's nothing outside of God's awareness and visibility. 
that he knows us through and through. And so uh, there's a comforting reality to that, but there's also uh, a sobering, humbling reality that most importantly, God is the one that is watching everything that we do and say and is concerned about every part of our lives. Yeah, Mark, the thing that really jumps out at me, though, is, okay, like you said, I, I say blend, talking with my wife about a blender, and all of a sudden I see blenders up on social media. This is so transactional. It's tr- it wants me to buy something because it's listening in. Yes, God is watching and he's caring, but it's not a transactional type of relationship. It's different. Yeah, and that's really... You know, Dr. Dennison talks about this pretty often, and it's something for us to think deeply about because so much of our lives is in this idea of transactional relationship. We deal with each other in this way so much times of I'll do this for you if you do that for me. You know, uh, I'll be nice and I'll uh, I'll help clean up the house as long as my spouse does something for me. You know, we Put it this, we put this into the framework of our friendships. We put it into the framework, certainly, of business, that so many things that we do are done on a contractual basis rather than on a foundation of, of self-giving love, which is mm-hmm. what God has for us. You know, this, most, this article that Dr. Dennison wrote a couple of days ago, this powerful, powerful statement that just really made me stop and pause God loves you as much right now as he has ever loved anyone in human history. Now, that just, it is just almost impossible for us to think like that unless the Spirit of God helps us to wrap our heart and soul around that, that God loves me that way, whether I've earned it or not, uh, whether I've you know tried to pursue him, whether I've tried to uh, align my life in obedience to him, that God starts from that very simple place of of commitment that he is love and he chooses to love us even when the bible says that we are absolutely unlovable and it is that kind of love that is transformational rather than transactional that's what it gets down to and i love the bullet points he has because jesus loves us sacrificially unconditionally he took the initiative despite our failures He's not looking to transact. He's looking to transform. I love that tra- that picture there, the transformational aspect. Oh, hey, Mark, thanks again for joining us here on Faith Radio. Hey, great to be with hey, you, Paul. Real quickly, how's, thanks how, to our audience. Yeah, How's Jim been doing these days? Because I know he's had his struggles and such. He's a busy guy, too. So is he doing well? Yeah, he's he's doing pretty well. He does have a few health challenges that continue to, uh, you know, frame and limit his, his activities in some ways. But you know, he loves what he's doing, having a lot of opportunity of writing. He's uh, really got a special, uh, unique calling of praying, reading, and writing, and helping us to discern the news in gospel-oriented kinds of ways that build our faith and help us to walk strong as disciples. Well, help. Uh, thank you, both you guys, for helping us apply the mind of Christ to stuff happening in the day. So thank you Absolutely. so much. Absolutely. Grateful to be a part. Uh, this is Faith Radio. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. And, okay, some prayers going out. Um, if you haven't heard yet, maybe you've been part of the missions organization YWAM, Youth with a Mission. I know many people have. I, 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 my 
Brother Donald did a, did a stint with them one time, too. Well, it's been a hard few days for the organization. Um, Youth with a Missions elder Darlene Cunningham, who co-founded the Christian training organization with her late husband back in 1960, Lauren Cunningham, who passed away last year. Well, they have the sad news of 11 missionaries killed and eight others injured in a grisly car crash in Tanzania on Saturday. And it's, it is a historic loss for the ministry and a lot of tears around the world. Um, Darlene Cunningham says, yeah, in these days, tears are being poured out across the world by individuals, families, and YWAMers worldwide. And she's personally reeling from the weight of the news since she knew and loved many of these people individually. So, yeah, join in prayer for YWAM, for uh, Darlene and the team with YWAM as they navigate around this, uh, this big loss for them. Well, again, uh, as we continue this morning on Mornings with Carmen, just a reminder... It is our 75th anniversary, and I think today is the last day to go to MyFaithRadio.com. Maybe it's tomorrow. But we're giving away 75 birthday boxes with a T-shirt, Faith Radio 75th anniversary T-shirt, the Brant Hansen book, Life is Hard, God is Good, Let's Dance, and other goodies. If you want to win one of the 75 birthday boxes, sign up at MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.